Welcome to the Sunday Celebrations Podcast. With thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, each week we celebrate the lives of people who have each played their part in shaping life in Australia. And this week is no exception. Our special guest is CEO of the Australian Grand Prix Corporation, Andrew Westacott. From growing up in Melbourne, studying chemical engineering, to working in logistics and supply chain management in the pet food industry in Albury-Wodonga, Andrew moved to Melbourne in 2005 to take up a role with the 2006 Commonwealth Games Corporation. Then, after the Games, moved to the Australian Grand Prix Corporation, where for the past 15 years, he's been working to present Melbourne to over half a billion people annually with the Australian Formula One Grand Prix and the MotoGP. Hello and welcome to Sunday Celebrations, Mr Andrew Westacott. G'day, Grant. Thanks for the introduction. It's uh, amazing how... uh major events and sport and something you love now actually uh, supersedes uh, pet food and chemical engineering. Well, there's a lot we want to talk about over the next period. Like, I want to talk about Grand Prix, I want to talk about the new track layout, uh, I want to talk about a whole heap of stuff, but let's rewind back to the start. Young Andrew, where were you growing up? What part of Melbourne? Well, I was, uh, you know, saying it to a Frankston boy, it was, uh, I was in the eastern suburbs as well, but it was uh, leaf, the leafy suburbs of Turak, actually. Yeah. And um, it's funny because it links me back to a, a situation where people say, well, how do you barrack for Footscray when you, you lived in Turak? And um, the old man played for the Bulldogs back in, in the 50s in 1954. But I had a scenario where I went to school one day wearing a Footscray jumper and no one knew who they were. So I came home and mum and dad allowed me to change footy teams. I changed to Hawks. But I rescinded on my ways and went back to the Bulldogs. And that's where life started for me. And uh, it taught me a lot of lessons about jumping on trains and back in the Red Rattler days and the blue trains oh. and even when a silver train came along, Grant. Oh, I remember the silver trains. And I remember the, the particularly the Red Rattlers and blue trains as a kid because, as you said, me being a Frankston lad, whenever you wanted to go to the city, it had to be on a train. And they would certainly some interesting journeys back when the doors weren't automatically closed and you could sit in the doorway and have the door open and all those crazy days that we used to do on trains. Remember the novelty when you went from the little narrow doors on a yep. on a red train to the wider <laughs> yeah. ones and the blue and then... God forbid those doors automatically closed on a silver train. Probably not for uh, broadcast, but certainly got some curious memories of my time on the Melbourne transport system as a kid. And it's funny too, like this is the, I spoke to Sue Alberti little, sort of late last year, so this is, must be a Western Bulldogs theme happening in the great, program too. An unbelievable loyal person she is to the Bulldogs <laughs> and uh, one of the great memories of my sporting life was probably getting out to the Western Oval with you know, 40,000 others the day after we won the grand final, oh, and yeah. uh, that was a cracker of an afternoon. Let's move on to the school days, I guess, and you're a Wesley College alumni, and I'm, I've recently seen a video that you did for the school uh, where you spoke about you know, your time at the college, and uh, apart from being one of the most grand-looking educational institutions in Melbourne, because it's such a stunning building and, and location on St Kilda Road there, but from what I've seen and what I've heard was that you weren't really sure what old Andrew or older Andrew was going to do. You just sort of like, as a young kid, you didn't really know where you were going to end up, did you, at the time? No, I didn't. And it was back in the day when it started off out in in Sindel in, in grade four. That was 1974. So mm. there, that shows the timeline. But... Um, Jumping on a train and going out to Sindel from '74 to, uh, you know, Form Two, and then coming into Paran from, um, you know, Form Three or Year Nine to, to Year Twelve was um, an unbelievable experience. And uh, but I, but back then I didn't know what I was going to do. My, my father was involved in, in golf in Victoria, and he was president of the Victorian Golf Association as it was, and he used to be a volunteer marshal for golf tournaments out at. Uh, 
Victoria Golf Club back in the 70s. So there was the Wills Masters and um, the Colgate Far East Ladies Golf Tournaments in the mid-70s. And I used to get dragged along to these. And I, I was recalling and recollecting on a couple of things. And that was probably the first time I ever went into, into media centres and saw the setup yeah. of, of a venue. And ultimately, it's the sort of thing we do now delivering the Grand Prix. But back in school days, I'd studied you know, physics, chemistry, pure and applied mathematics. And I didn't know where it was going to end up, but it did end up being a chemical engineer for seven years. And um, it meandered a long, long way until I found myself at Albert Park. But coincidentally, Grant, I can look out my office right now and see the uh, the flags at, at Wesley flying on the other side of St Kilda Road. So you went on tour with longer after that and you spoke about the logistics part of it. And I want to come back to logistics and how that's played a big part in what you do now. But the time in Albury longer for those of us um, who spent some time up there, it's a gorgeous part of the world up in the northeastern border region of Victoria. I mean, I've heard you say you were making pet food. It was a little bit more to it than that. Yeah, it was. It was living the dream, um, making pet food. <laughs> <laughs> I worked for a, a wonderful chemical engineering company here in Melbourne, and I wanted to work for a, a larger business. And Uncle Ben's is part of the Mars organisation. At the time, it was sort of one of the biggest privately owned businesses around the world. And the name behind Pedigree and Whiskers and Kitty Cat and Chum and My Dog and all those sorts of things. And uh, I went up there to respond to a job ad- advertisement, which was going to be for a raw materials buyer. And they must have thought I'd make a lousy raw materials buyer. <laughs> and uh, I ended up being export logistics manager and then moved into procurement and supply, supply chain roles. And teaches you a lot about working for a very high profile branded business and gives you a lot of pride when you walk down a supermarket and see the products and the items that you've actually bought, purchased or bought or anything. But mum could never understand what I did for the rest of the year. So you buy packaging, but what else do you do? And she still thinks I only work uh, seven seven days a week at the Grand Prix delivering F1 and MotoGP. With logistics in mind then, I know that things maybe didn't quite work out how you hoped they would in Albury Wrong. And I think you, you, you left there and then moved to Melbourne, back to Melbourne and and got a role with the Melbourne 2006 Commonwealth Games Corporation. That, that really was perfect timing at the time, wasn't it? That that was something from a logistical point of view you could take on and... Uh, and get out of Albury Wodonga and move back to Melbourne and be a part of that incredible event in 2006. Yeah, look, it was it was it was sad to leave Albury Wodonga because the uh, the kids Charlie and Amy were born in the, the Wodonga Hospital and uh, they grew up uh, there. And one interesting year it was in 2005. I had a redundancy, and um, you know, there's a lot you can learn about transferability of skills, and that was one of the things how you go from sort of chemical engineering to logistics and supply chain, and you you land on your feet working in doing all those roles at the Commonwealth Games. But Tina and the kids were living up at Falls Creek in 2005 and I would work at the Com Games and commute up there every weekend. So um, it was a fun period of our lives, but it was a great thing to deliver. And that's how I got into um, ending up with the job at the Grand Prix Corporation. So 2006, you joined the Grand Prix Corporation as General Manager of Operations. It is such a... and I'm oh, Look, oh, I need to declare a pecuniary interest. I'm a ridiculously fanatical F1 fan, so I apologise if there's a little bit of fanboying going on here. But uh, the Grand Prix has had its ups and downs over the years as far as the public is concerned, particularly in you know, the early, early days of Albert, Albert Park. Absolutely. Uh, but it is a stunning event that puts Melbourne on an incredibly good footing overseas, doesn't it? It does. Um, you know, there's not many opportunities for a city our size to really project itself to the world every year at the start of a, a major Tier 1 season. Commonwealth Games do it once in a lifetime. Olympics do it once in a lifetime. But Formula 1 really does project across all continents, albeit uh, it's not there in South Africa at the moment. But um, 
it's fanatical from a sporting point of view throughout Europe. It's growing in Asia and it's very, very big in um, South America. And that's the thing we love about it. And um, it was projected onto Melbourne. The thing about the Grand Prix is that it was introduced into Melbourne as opposed to things like the tennis and the spring carnival that mm. have grown up with Melbourne. But we're uh, 26 years young at the moment. And the first racing happened at Albert Park back in 1953, Grant. So there's a lot of history of, of motorsport in this country. With the challenges around the locals in the Albert Park region, is that something that has died off now? Is it is it still or is it still ever present that maybe some of the, the locals don't like that interruption each year or have they got really behind it and, and see the improvements that the Grand Prix has actually made to Albert Park as a, as a venue 12 months of the year? Well, it, it's definitely, I'll start on that, the second part, it's definitely improved Albert Park 12 months a year. It's... um. It's an unbelievable asset that the city has. It's um, so much better than it was when I was playing amateur footy there in the, uh, very poorly, mind you, in the in the 80s, the facilities were run down. We didn't have MSAC. We didn't have an upgraded Lakeside Oval. But, you know, there's still a little bit of resentment there and um, we don't take it for granted that we actually take over a, a public park. And that's why it's actually kept open for all the time, apart from event week, which we... We close it for three days, but then we open it up as a ticketed venue. So it's handed back uh, to the operators of it, Parks Victoria. Um, we always think in, in better condition than we left it. Yes, there's challenges, but um, we think the benefits uh, outweigh those challenges. And we're doing some modifications at the moment, as you know, yeah. about the track. But the great thing is it's actually improving the amenity of the park as well with, with more green space rather than less. So talk about those changes for a second. Uh, there are quite a few changes happening to the track at the moment. Was that planned for now or was that uh, because obviously we didn't have the race in March? We'll come back and talk about that in a minute. But were those ch- changes scheduled for right now after the 2021 Grand Prix or has this been brought forward because of that opportunity and timing? No, they pretty much were scheduled for, for after the 21 Grand Prix. In fact, they were probably going to be scheduled earlier and then COVID uh, threw a spanner in the works with... Um, with essential construction works and all sorts of other things. And um, you know, for those who know Formula One, Formula One specifications of the cars are going to change massively mm. in 2022. So it was a great opportunity to make these geometric changes because the cars have evolved a long way since 1996 when the first race was here. It hasn't been resurfaced in that time, which is unbelievable for a road in metropoles in Melbourne. And you know, there's a lot of things that you need to adjust, whether it be camber, the width of some of the corners, um, the abrasiveness of the asphalt mix, the width of pit lane, just so that you can introduce a lot more aspects of competitive racing. Because sadly, the one criticism of our, our circuit and the visits to our city from everyone from Formula One is it's they, they come here for every round, other than the fact that the uh, racing gets a little bit processional. Mm. So what we're trying to do is introduce opportunities for overtaking to reward brave ri- driving, but also penalise um, poor driving and mistakes. We spoke off here briefly about turn nine and ten, which um, for those who know that part of the track, it's a chicane, I guess, on the Queen's Road side of the track near the golf club. Yeah, uh, near the golf course. Near the golf course, fantastic viewing spot, big TV, a big screen on the other side of the of the, of the the corner. That's going to be evened out so that it is now going to be a high-speed kind of, oh, what would you call it? It's not even a corner, is it? And then, a sweeper, probably. A sweeper, yeah. Because at the moment, the cars are just going through corners like they aren't there. This is going to be such a fast part of the track now. Yeah, they'll pull four and a half Gs. They'll get to 330 or 340 kilometres an hour coming into what is the most challenging. It's currently turn 11 and 12, um, but everything will remove because we're taking out two corners. Mm. 11 and 12 will go back to 9 and 10. But 
it'll be more challenging. Uh, we're widening some of those turns where, for instance, up near Albert Road, the current cornering speed is about 150. It'll go to 220 kilometres an hour. And the major change is at the south end of the lake near Ross Gregory Oval, where Powerhouse Footy Club play. And um, that'll be a uh, become a, a tighter right-hander. And that's where we think most of the overtaking is going to be happening. So Daniel Ricciardo's had a lot of input to it. Michael Massey, who's the Formula One race director, has. And, um, you know, it's all being built with, you know, Victorian expertise and it's happening right now. It's more than just a car race, isn't it? If, if, and without saying like an ad for the Grand Prix, if you want to take your family along, you want to be a part of it, it's so much more than just cars on track, isn't it? Well, it is. When you mentioned it, sort of a, it went through a bit of a rut. Um, that's because the novelty had perhaps worn off from the early 90s and then we had Mark Webber who um, you know had a sort of quasi podium in 2002 with uh, the level Paul Stoddart and then mm. we had Mark Webber and Daniel Ricciardo's coming along and um, you know Formula One is now under US ownership it's um, got a lot more excitement it's always been show business meeting sport meeting entertainment but there's so much more now and we've been not forced but it's in our DNA because of the competitive nature of major events in Melbourne We've got to go offer so much. So we have historic car displays. We have science and technology um, uh, exhibitions. We have business networking because it's um, it's more than just a sporting event. And that's why it's an attractor of business to Melbourne. So you've got to offer all these sorts of things to, to have the appeal and capitalise on the... Um, the four days that it's here. And you can just wander around. And that's the other thing. And uh, friends of mine said, oh, you know, I don't know if I want to sit and watch, you know, car racing all day. And I took them um, two years ago. And the ability to just wander around the whole facility, even on general admission passes. And you've got so many different areas you can go and view. And you can wander across Albert Park Lake, which is unusual to say the least normally because normally I I don't normally walk on water. So, you know, but um, there's just so much you can do. But one of the things I want to touch on is is the pressure side of it from you. Let's move back to Andrew Westercott for a second. Logistically, whether you are trying to move Master Foods and Uncle Ben's products around Australia or organise Australian Grand Prix or be a part of the Commonwealth Games, the, the pressure around the logistics, how do you cope personally with having to make sure that every T is crossed and I is dotted with that sort of stuff? Because a lot can go wrong. Yeah, a lot can go wrong. Maybe maybe going back to the school days, I um, I was a real shrimp at school um, and uh, I sat in the back of a, a rowing aid. I was a cox. And so I don't know whether sometimes there's more pressure in delivering the Grand Prix or making sure you don't crash into Prince's Bridge in a uh, in a rowing aid with <laughs> yeah, eight blokes who are a lot bigger than you. But granted, some. Um, you know, it comes down to to preparation. It's it's teamwork. It's um, making sure you get the right suppliers. You can't just buy on price and not have the grandstands turn up. You can't have service uh, providers that are not up to the standard. And I guess what it is, it's there's a level of pride that you've got to engender in everyone to deliver on the day. You can never have extensions of time. So it comes down to rehearsal, preparedness, um, contingency and and um, backup plans, and they come to the fore when you've got. Well, last year we had the bushfires, but then we also had COVID, and and sadly we were we were cancelled on the cusp. So, so, look, it's a combination of everything, and I think it's more about operating in the zone from my point of view, rather than feeling that feeling the pressure. There is a pressure there, but um, as long as you've done the hard yards and uh, you've got a, a great team that you can lead and uh, and work with, then it, it comes together. But it doesn't come together by luck, that's for sure. With the 2020 Grand Prix, you touched on it briefly before. On the that weekend, how and we were sitting on the outside, obviously looking at it unfold, and then McLaren team members 
uh, yep. contracted COVID and then it sort of all sort of started to unravel. What was the mood like behind the scenes at, at your level? You do all those rehearsals. You have the behind the scenes stuff, which is critical incident management response plans. You have emergency management plans. You have a network of um, experts in, in our team at the corporation and in the network that we deal with in Victorian government. And behind the scenes, things are evolving. But, you know, now you can get COVID tests and you get the results back in... Um, you know, maybe one hour to, to four hours as sort of a, a maximum. Then it was it was unknown. There were limitations on the number of tests, and um, it all unfortunately came to a head on that Thursday night, where there were there were about nine tests, and they were for, for cautious reasons, where um, we were waiting the results, and eight of them came back, and we had a function at uh, Government House. It was the official welcome hosted by Her Excellency the Governor, and. Um, the call came through to me and said, okay, um, the first eight tests have come back and they're all negative. Then you start to uh, smell a rat and the, the uh, detectors go up and say, well, hang on, why have we only got eight of the nine tests? And then sure enough, uh, half an hour later, it kicked into gear and that's where the McLaren guy had tested positive. And so the team was already back at the circuit anyway. And uh, I headed back from government house, as did Paul Little, and we were there till about you know, 2.30 or 3 in the morning and exchanging calls between ourselves, Formula One, Europe and, and lots of other things and then reconvene there at about 6.30. Australian Grand Prix Corporation is also the MotoGP as well. It's a big part of what you do as well. It's not yeah. just about the F1 Grand Prix, it is Grand Prix in general. The MotoGP, is it shaping up for this year or is that going to be a bit hard logistically or what's the plan there with, with 2021? Well, both events are, uh, are challenging at, uh, in, a, in a normal year, but they're certainly more challenging um, when you have uh, COVID-safe uh, venue plans, you have the uncertainty about borders and you also have the um, the challenges of bringing contingents about 12 or 1300 people in size into Australia from, from the northern hemisphere so you know they're not without their challenges but MotoGP is another one of those things where you have to pinch yourself back from the days where I'd go and see the Harlem Globetrotters at uh, <laughs> Kuyong or get into um, you know see the Australian Open on grass because it, you get a three dollar ticket after about five o'clock to be down there and have Mick Doohan, Wayne Gardner, Casey Stoner, Alan Jones, and back in the day, Sir, ba- Sir Jack Rabner as people who you, you get to mix with, it's, um, I don't take it for granted uh, that we deliver such a monumental event like the, the MotoGP event down at Phillip Island. And I'd never been down to see a moto motorcycle race until I started working for the Grand Prix Corporation. And it really is a, is a bucket list. And I like to be able to give back now and, um, to be able to be a director of Karting Australia is, is wonderful. And you know, I know you you um, beam into Aubrey Wodonga on 2A wires with um, John Reynolds, who's uh, Dave Reynolds' father, who's a supercar driver. And yeah. John's on the board with me at uh, Karting Australia. And we were standing in the howling wind and rain at the Oakley um, Go-Kart Club on Sunday morning for the uh, the Victorian Karting Championships. And that's where the, the next generation of Oscar Piastri, who's racing in Formula 2, and Daniel Ricciardo is going to come from. So... You've got to be able to nurture young sportsmen and women, whether it be golf or tennis or, or, or karting. If you are a uh, KO Sports subscriber or a Fox Sports subscriber, really recommend watching some of the F2 stuff if you're into your car racing because yeah. it's brilliant and Oscar's doing so well at the moment. Let's talk about 2021 as a whole then. We've got Formula 1 Grand Prix in November. A different time of year. Obviously, it's normally the first race of the year. This year, it's going to be, uh, what, the third last, if that makes sense. There's two after it. Um, yep. November. Is that going to change too much? I was always on my soapbox saying first race of the season. Ron Walker taught me that as our, <laughs> our first chairman. First race of the season. But I've, 
I've jumped onto the bandwagon of championships are decided in the first <laughs> la- third last round. And, you know, Lewis Hamilton's won the championship three out of the last four years in the third last round. But Melbourne's good at any time of the year, but yeah. there's something to like about March um, coming into water. But there's also something to like about nine days before summer when we've gone through two challenging years. And so I'm excited because, you know, the grass will be green, the lake will be full. It's a different environment. We're going to come off the spring carnival uh, a fortnight or two and a half weeks beforehand with the Melbourne Cup. There's a bit of a gap between the Melbourne Cup and the Ashes series. And to have Albert Park, the last time Australia hosted the Grand Prix in November was back in Adelaide in their, their last race. So it's exciting. Whether it remains in November is um, one of those things that we're very open-minded about. We're working with government and one on. But for this year, it's exciting because we're going to have the track changes. We're going to have November. We've got nine days till summer and we're going to be in need of a party. And with Daniel Ricciardo moving to McLaren, it promises to be... Uh, bit of excitement on the racing front too because you certainly I'd, I'd never thought about lining it up with melbourne cup but certainly november suddenly becomes a, a, a massive month in melbourne doesn't it? we're right off the back of the of the uh, afl grand final which will be back in melbourne again uh then yep. we've got we've got melbourne cup and then straight into a grand prix a couple of weeks later it becomes a pretty busy time doesn't it some people have said it's horsepower month it's horsepower month have you registered that? <laughs> uh, well, no, but we'll. Um, I'll. Uh, I'll hand it. Given that uh, our minister Martin Pakula is minister for racing as well as tourism for ma- and major events, I think he can uh, register Horsepower Month because it, it could be a wonderful opportunity for people to um, to travel to Victoria. You can go to the the Melbourne Cup. You can visit uh, the Great Ocean Road, the Grampians, and, and Phillip Island, or even up to you know Central Victoria, and then come back and see the Grand Prix. So. There's a lot to like about those tourism opportunities mm. and that's one of the big draw cards that I hope is going to be um, coming to a fruition because we need international sport to uh, remind people of what a great place we are and um, when the borders open up, it'll be good for all of us. The helicopter shots are going to be quite spectacular in November. I mean, that's the one iconically... Uh, every time I see that when I'm watching a Grand Prix in Melbourne, yeah. I always see the helicopter shot looking out from the bay as they come over Albert Park with the skyline of the city behind it. That's when I when I do it does dawn on me how important this is from an international stage point of view to have that because that is just such a wonderful view of Melbourne. Yeah, and it's a, it's a sense of pride if you sort of happen to be in a bar or somewhere in Italy and they're beaming replayed shots from from Melbourne or mm. Phillip Island and there's a lot of people in Spain who when we show the montages of the of Apostles and the Great Ocean Road and Phillip Island, they sort of think that perhaps the, uh, they're all close to one another, but we don't need to uh, ruin a good story with the, the <laughs> geographical truth. But it does project us into, into Europe, and you only need to look at the growth of motorbikes and motorbike racing in Asia to see how important it is into Thailand and, um, mm. and Vietnam and, and obviously the heartland of motorcycles, Japan. Is there a highlight? We'll end on this. Is there is there a highlight of all the years? You know, we'll, we'll go. Well, we can go right back to the pet food days if you like. But from uh, Commonwealth Games, you know, through to all the years, the fifteen odd years you've been involved with the Grand Prix uh, Corporation, and and that includes all aspects of that. Is there a highlight for you? Something that you look back on and think, oh, it's just so wonderful to be a part of that particular moment in time. Uh, there's probably few, but I'm, given I'm a massive hoarder and I love sporting history and. Uh, one of my mates, Tony Green um, from Albury Wodonga, nicknamed me Stan because of uh, the could have been champions and Stan the statistician. So I call him Trucker and he called me Stan. But he gave me that nickname Stan because I could just remember sporting facts and bits and pieces. But I think one of the things that we did was immortalise 
Sir Jack Brabham and Alan Jones in, in bronze busts and they reside in, in Albert Park and our three motorcycle world champions in, in Wayne Gardner, Casey Stoner and five-time champion Mick Doohan. We immortalise them in bronze and that resides in New Haven on Phillip Island at the Visitor Centre. And I think to be able to capture them and particularly Sir Jack Brabham while he was alive, that was a memorable moment. And uh, the love and belief of um, why we put Mim was to have another world champion. And whether it's Daniel Ricciardo, Oscar Piastri, or one of the young boys and girls we saw at um, Oakley on the weekend, that's um, that's a nice memory, along with just working with great people and uh, delivering something that brings a lot of joy to people. That's probably the um, what's the smile on my face. Well, what a great way to end. Thank you so much for your time. Best of luck for everything this year, um, whether it be uh, standing in the rain, watching karting or the Australian Grand Prix or, of course, the MotoGP as well. Um, it's going to be an exciting year and, um, you know, get on the positive foot about it all happening and all being a part of, uh, all being a, part of a, a year of getting back to what we love so much about Melbourne and, and the, the Grand Prix are certainly part of that. Andrew, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Thank you. The Sunday Celebrations radio show is on Easy Music 3MP every Sunday morning at 8 o'clock and on the ACE Radio Network across regional stations in Victoria and southern New South Wales every Sunday evening at 8 o'clock. I'm your host, Grant Johnston. We'll have another episode next week of Sunday Celebrations. And with thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives, thank you for listening.